Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 402. Uh, to, I, to just have your employees support and to support them in what they want to do. If they have a specific passion that is outside of work or within work, I think supporting them and kind of giving them that drive that they need and that opportunity to do what they want to be a better person uh, is a huge it's a huge influence to me, and I think I try to do that in every place that I've gone to. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Increase return visits by 200% with 5 Stars. 5 Stars helps you build a database of your customers' spend and visit behaviors. 5 Stars also helps you stay continually connected by automatically sending personalized offers and rewards. To learn more, head over to get.5stars.com slash unstoppable or use promotional code unstoppable. And when you set up a demo, 5 Stars will send you a $25 gift card to some of their favorite retailers like Target, Starbucks, Home Depot, and more. What are you waiting for? Get on it. There is no time to waste in the restaurant business, especially when an opportunity comes up and you need extra capital. Cabbage created a simple, flexible way to get a line of credit of up to $150,000. Apply online and get a decision right away. Withdraw funds when you need them without reapplying. Cabbage has helped over 100,000 small businesses. Get started at cabbage.com slash unstoppable and you'll get a $100 gift card when you qualify. That's cabbage with a K. Line of credit is subject to credit approval. See terms and conditions. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Jeff Deloff. Chef Jeff, are you feeling unstoppable today, my man? I'm feeling pretty unstoppable today. Yes. <laughs> yes. So uh, before we get started, I got to give a quick shout out to Janae Libby for setting this up. Thank you for the introduction, Janae, and for calling Chef Jeff out. Uh, born and raised in Oswego. Am I saying that correctly? Oswego? Oswego. Oswego, yeah. New York. Jeff Deloff at 16 took a job as a dishwasher and has never left the restaurant business. He enrolled in the Culinary Institute of America in 2005. After graduating, he worked in several restaurants in New York, the most recent as executive chef at Bistro 197. And I'm probably going to say this wrong again, Oswego. Oswego, yes. Oswego. It's a, <laughs> definitely a... Uh, Northern pronunciation. pronunciation okay, it's just like we. I don't know why I'm struggling with that. Uh, in fall of 2015, Jeff left uh, for Charlottesville to take the position as executive chef of Three ben- Penny Cafe. And uh, Jeff is committed to developing relationships and with area produce. Uh, man, I can't talk this morning with area producers and uh, to spreading Three Penny's mission to source locally, sustainably, humanely, and healthfully uh, I, I can't wait to dive in to what makes you you but before we get that going let's get that motivational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra take it away um i would say my mantra or success quote is laugh and grow fat laugh uh, and grow fat all right yeah i uh, have a pretty good time in the kitchen and uh like to produce good food so i feel like that they kind of go hand in hand and it's pretty much how I do things. Awesome, man. I love it. 
All right. So uh, where did it all start with you? Uh, Take us to the moment where you knew that this was going to be your career. Sorry about that. Uh, It's all right. Life happens, man. Um, We're casual here at Restaurant Unstoppable. uh, (laughs) You know, I I, I can't really pinpoint on when it was like, oh, this is what I want to do type thing. Yeah. I remember taking like home ec in middle school, eighth grade, seventh grade around there and coming home and being like, oh man, I had so much fun and kind of thinking in my head while in class, like, wow, this this is something I would like to do as we're wiping down the stations and the tables and stuff. So it kind of was like an ongoing joke after watching Iron Chef, the, the Japanese version and stuff. It's like, wow, this is pretty cool. And then my uncle on my mom's side, uh, worked in an Aunt Sarah's in Virginia, uh, which is kind of like a Denny's type thing. It's just a, a breakfast roadside stop thing. Okay. Um, and he was like, if you're serious about it, you can kind of come in with me and work and, uh, you know, see what you think about it. We can kind of sit down and talk. So I went on a Sunday afternoon and he was the only person there and he might've cooked for like 40 people by himself. He had like three different flat tops and he was doing so much different stuff. Did you say I was 40, four zero people by himself. Yeah. Wow. He was, he was there all by himself. Um, so he kind of sat me down. He, he made me some lunch, whatever. And he's like, you know, if this is something you want to do. Then go for it. Don't mm-hmm. do what I did and get into trouble. And end up going to, you know, he went to prison for a little bit and he's like, this is all that I have left to do. Like this is, this was kind of pushed on me as my only option. Mm. So I think I just took that advice and was like, if this is what I'm going to do, then I'm, I'm going to go to school for it. I'm going to get a, an actual restaurant job and then uh, put my heart into it. So like a, a year passed and I had an opportunity as a dishwasher. Um, I skateboarded to the interview wearing a black shirt <laughs> and a red tie. And the chef came out and he was like, I don't think anyone has ever worn a tie. <laughs> for a dishwashing interview, let alone job. someone of your age. Um, and that's the end of it. Like as soon as I remember being in the dish room, cause it was separate. So we had a wall that divided uh, the room and the actual kitchen. I remember washing dishes as fast as I could. And then immediately running around the corner and just like standing there at the end of the cooking line and just watching. And it got to the point where they were like, you have to slow down with washing <laughs> dishes because you're doing them too fast and you're not letting things build up. Like you're just taking one pan at a time, washing it and bring it back. Um, so I would stay later. I would like help clean up the kitchen and just ask a bunch of questions while I was there. And then they started giving me homework assignments and like figure out what this means, like come back and tell me. And then the chef who also happens to be named Jeff um, was like, I'm going to give you an opportunity to kind of come over here and work, you know, garmache, salads, desserts type stuff. And he's like, I'm putting a lot of faith into you because you seem like you want to do this. Um, but it's nothing like what you would have, what you're watching. Like there's a little more to it than just coming in and making dishes. And there's a lot more to it. So what do you mean by what you're watching, what you're watching from your position as, as the dishwasher or like what you're watching at home or whatever. Because as I would come in, like service might've already been started so I would, from my perception, it's just coming in and then you're immediately making food yep. as opposed to like the prep behind it, the setting up the stations, figuring out the flow of service and stuff. So he let me do it. And then 
I think that sealed the deal. Like I, I put my heart and soul into it and I could still help in the dishroom if needed to be it, but I just took the reins and ran with it. What is uh, that like having somebody uh, who invested in you in time and knowledge and really didn't just treat you like a dishwasher, but treated you like somebody who could make this into their career? Like, what was that like? Uh, well, he was my first mentor. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I still consider him a great person and a great educator. And I owe him a lot just to the idea of he gave me a chance. And Oswego is not a very large city. So the options for fine dining restaurants at that time were very limited. Um, so I was thankful to be able to get into a place like that, that had such a reputation and it was busy for that time of year. Um, cause it was in the summertime. We hadn't yet hit the winter as much. Uh, and obviously being on a lake, Lake Ontario in the winter, it's horrible. There's, it's freezing. There's snow all the time. And that really puts a, a damper on a, the restaurant industry in that area. Um, but it was good. I, I guess I also, I was so young that I didn't really understand, you know, the meaning behind that. Like I just assumed he's, you know, my boss, he's giving me a chance. I don't want to let him down type thing, but he, he was really teaching me small little nuances and small little things to kind of get me ready to go to school. Um, and I only worked there for maybe two years before they had to close. What were the biggest lessons you think that you got in this stage of your life? What were the things that he gave you that were prepared you for a career in this industry? Um, consequences for slacking. Mm. Uh, <laughs> that was a, that was a big one. And I don't, I didn't necessarily learn it for myself, but I learned it vicariously from my other employees in terms of if you honestly say something is that clean that you'd eat off of it, it better be that clean to eat off of it because he would like, that would be it. Like if you come in and be like, well, this, you know, this bottom of this trash can is clean enough to eat off of, you'd be like, well, here's your dinner. (laughs) So, uh, it kind of definitely taught me that hard work, you know, pays off. Um, and the more harder I worked at things, the more rewards I kind of got for it. And being a dishwasher starting out, I think you learn nearly every aspect of the industry quite quickly. Uh, and there isn't a lot of time to be like, this is too hard or this is too much because you kind of set the pace for the entire restaurant. Mm. Uh, you have a lot of weight on your shoulders. And I think dishwashers in general kind of get the, you know, the bad rap because they're just a dishwasher, but they hold a, a ton of responsibility. Mm-hmm. Turns out you are literally holding the difference between dirty pans and plates and silverware before anything else. So if they don't come clean like that, you're putting everything else behind until those dishes get clean. So I think that was the biggest thing that, you know, it was a humbling lesson yes. to learn. Yes. You put so much emphasis on it. I'm happy you went there and I was hoping you would because uh, I listened to your interview with Jenny and one of the things you brought up uh, is just that, that humbling experience. You think everybody should be a dishwasher at some point just because of the, the importance of the dishwasher and just, you know, every, every person in the restaurant is a link in the chain. And if one link is missing, if one link is not doing their job, it just, it's a ripple effect. And do you want to dive into that real quick before we move on? Uh, yeah. Uh, I was, I took orchestra, uh, in, in school. So the, the idea of different sections all coming together in harmony to produce music kind of works in the same mm-hmm. fashion as a restaurant. You have very different 
divided sections in a restaurant. You have the, the upper management, you have the porters or dishwashers, and you have the line cooks, and then you have the front of the house staff. All of those have to work in harmony. Mm-hmm. If one starts to kind of fall behind or get too far ahead, like it screws everything up and it doesn't sound right. And I think working in a successful, busy restaurant, it has a specific sound to it. Like everybody is working together. And and yes, the, the link in the chain and all those, those are all so many perfect analogies, but that's, I mean, that, that fully encompasses it, yeah. I think is easier as an orchestra because they all have to work together to come together to produce the same thing. Awesome. And I think that's the way that restaurants work. So let's move on. Uh, you said, or I, I found that you went to uh, the Culinary Institute of America. So take us through that experience. What were the, the big lessons there? Uh, that's a very much a culture shock. Um, I mean, I grew up in a small town, but I could always walk everywhere. Um, and I always did walk everywhere. But when I got to culinary school, I didn't have a car. I didn't have a driver's license. So I pretty much lived at the school. And the only way that I left the campus was with, with friends and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I know the school has changed since I've been there and it changes. It's definitely evolves quite quickly. Um, but while I was there, it was pretty intense uh, in terms of, you know, right out of the gate, you're, taken specific culinary classes, whether it's product identification or the history of gastronomy and things like that. And then it's just boom, next class. Mm -hmm. And then you just focus on one class for that certain amount of time period. And then you're rolling into these different classes very quickly. And then the next thing you know, well, it's internship. And then you spend 18 to 21 weeks on an internship. And then you pretty much come back immediately and start the ball over again. So it was very intense, very focus driven and on the other aspect of it, if you weren't focused or driven, it, you could easily have fallen behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they didn't really have a lot of patience or room for someone that were that would fall behind. If you fell behind, then you got dropped. You could either reapply in the class previous to you and then try it again, or you would just be done mm-hmm. and have to kind of start all over again. Um, I enjoyed the experience. It was quite expensive as I'm, you know, still, still paying for that. Um, but I wouldn't trade it for anything else. I think I, I picked the right school for the, for my right, you know, mindset. And it was a, a perfect time for me to go in terms of my age and who I was there with. Uh, the school has definitely gone on to do some awesome things and they've got in some awesome speakers and a, a lot of other chefs have kind of put their two cents in the school and donated different aspects to it. So it's kind of a a nice lineage to be part of. Okay. So you graduate from the culinary Institute, uh, in now you're developing your, your resume, your experience. Like how are you living at this point, uh, to live intentionally to, to, did you have a destination? Do you have an end in mind? Like take us through where you, where you are, what's going through your mind at this point? Uh, my plan was to go back to my internship, which was in Roanoke, Virginia. Um, but that didn't pan out in terms of financial issues, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't really have a whole lot of money mm-hmm. um, in terms of being able to move. I didn't have a car. Like I, there was so many different things that I needed that I just didn't have. Mm. Uh, so I went back home and I think I only took maybe two or three weeks off in terms of graduating before I started working again. And I just was pretty much, I need a job. Um, 
So I ended up going back to the same place I started at in terms of it was the same building, the same restaurant in the same location, just a different owner, a different concept, different name. Uh, and I kind of walked through the door and a few of the servers that I had worked as with as a dishwasher was the front of the house manager, um, Janine Reynolds. And she was a huge influence uh, in my early career. And she's still a huge influence to me in general. And I, she's pretty much been there with me this entire time. Uh, and as soon as I walked through the door, she was like, um, you're by my standards, you're hired. Uh, you have to to get, you know, go through the, the, you know, the protocols and everything else. And she put a big word in for me, um, with the chef that obviously who had no idea who I was. I was just some 19 kid coming, 19 year old kid coming out of culinary school. Um, and my mindset was I need to work here for as long as I can to, you know, pull as much information as I can out of it. And I ended up staying there long enough to kind of take over the kitchen as my first executive chef and dealing with that inexperience with that position. Um, and unfortunately that restaurant closed and then I had to go further into my career in different areas. But I would say it would boil down to, I was young, inexperienced, but incredibly hungry. And that probably got me further into it than, um, I probably should have at right. that point. I want to dive into this whole young and experienced and hungry. How did that, did that serve you or did that hinder you? Uh, a little bit of both. How did it, how did it hinder you? I, I think the inexperience, but you're incredibly hungry kind of gives you a little further than you can kind of hold up. If that makes any sense that you, you bite off more than you can chew in that aspect because you're so hungry and yeah. you're so driven behind it, but you don't know and what you're, you're, you don't know what you're getting yourself into. Exactly. And that's pretty much what happened. So where did you come up short? where did you come up short? Uh, I don't necessarily think it, it came up short. I was just, uh, there are, you know, clinical errors that given what I know now and how I could have changed what I did back then could have helped the restaurant go further or kind of set it in a different direction or just kind of get me started in the path that I'm in now sooner. What do you know now that you didn't know then? Um, how to run, manage people. Um, I think the biggest challenge for a young person uh, who's like 20, 21, 22 is to have to be in, tr- in charge of people who are much older than you. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's always that aspect of, well, you're too young. How could you possibly know anything? Or like I've had this amount of experience, but I'm listening to a 22 year old kid to essentially tell me how to do my job. Um, and then of course, dealing with sales reps uh, and that kind of communication systems with someone who's been doing it for an incredibly long time and who, who kind of knows how to maybe take advantage of a situation, maybe not take advantage of someone who's, who doesn't know really how to check prices or kind of compare it and have enough confidence to, be, to pretty much say, no, uh, I'm, you're, I'm getting charged too much for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just like general cooking things. Yeah. Uh, I, I, my skills have certainly improved since then. Um, so, so maybe if I spent more time focusing on those aspects instead of just immediately being like, oh, this is an opera an awesome opportunity. I'm going to take it and just kind of yeah. 
wing it. You know, so but I think there's that's the only way you find out is by going at it hard uh, and losing control and regaining control and knowing your limitations and learning things as you go. Uh, you said that the biggest lesson you learned is you know you know what you know what you know now that you didn't know then it was handling people. So what have you learned about handling people uh, during this experience or over over the years? What have you learned about handling people? Um, the age old, uh, I'm an executive chef, do what I, you know, do as I say, or I'm going to scream at you or whatever extreme thing that a lot of these older chefs and not to say it like older chefs, but the older kind of way older of culture, doing older, older values, yeah. yeah. The older culture of throwing pans or screaming and belittling, you know, line cooks, uh, being a pretty small, you know, 21, 22 year old in a room full of much older guys, uh, not only in the size and weight, uh, but age and experience. Mm -hmm. Like there is no voice. Mm. (laughs) There's no voice for me to be able to handle it. So you got to come around, at least in my experience, to to even the playing fields, whether it is, okay, if we're going to have this, you know, competition between us where you feel like you know more than me, then I'm going to, somewhat prove myself by challenging that to kind of say like, well, no, I do know more than you and I can handle this without outwardly being like, you know, you suck and I'm better than you type type of aspect to it. Um, and I, I guess just trying to, to be a little more humble. So and is that the approach you took? Did you have that attitude of like, Hey, like just because I'm 22 and I, you know, haven't been in the industry as long as you, I do know more than you. Is that the attitude you think you, you gave off? I probably gave off that, and I think a lot of younger chefs who come out of culinary school kind of view that as a a stepping stone. Like, oh, I know all this information, but in all reality, all culinary school somewhat teaches you is how to replicate a recipe Mm -hmm. in a consistent and, you know, concise form. Mm. Uh, It doesn't – there's a huge lack of, like – these other different variables that happen in restaurants on a daily basis. Whereas you don't have, you know, an hour to do one recipe. You have an hour to do eight different things that have to come together in that hour. Mm. Uh, And, but that's a hard thing to teach because you're obviously trying to do it in a context, a controlled context, and you can't throw too many variables in there because you want every student to have the same experience. So in terms of kind of coming in there and thinking, well, I know everything and I don't that I actually have to learn from these people yes. at the same exact time. I, I started to approach it as that, like I need to use them just as much as they need to use me in that aspect. Did you so start doing to- that back then in that, in that moment, or is this something looking back, reflecting back at how you could have handled it, how you would have? I think I started to, I think I, I started to form that correlation of, well, this isn't, this clearly isn't working because it's not going in the direction that I want to. Mm-hmm. So I need to change gears and kind of bring it to a level that's a going to make my life easier and make everyone's life easier at the same exact time. Mm. Uh, so I think being, you know, a personal aspect to it. I don't, I don't think this, the hierarchy of I'm a manager, I'm your boss. I think it's more of a, I'm still your boss, but I can still work together and have personal conversations and kind of make the the work experience a little more personable as opposed to you're just coming in and just getting a paycheck and leaving as opposed to trying to get someone to kind of come in with 
an excitement and, uh, you know, an anticipation of working because they want to, as opposed to just coming in and be like, well, I just want my money and I'm out of here. Um, and I think that's led to better relationships with employees and ownerships and just the overall experience in restaurants is to kind of make it more of a family than a military kind of stomping ground, if you will. Um, so you mentioned something earlier. I want to make sure we hit before we move on. And that was, I think, was it Renee? Was that the name of the woman that was working with you? Uh, Janae. Janae. Yeah. Not, is it? Jan- yeah. Janine Reynolds. Yeah. Janine. That was her name. Janine. Uh, Janine Reynolds. Uh, you said that she influenced you more than anybody else has ever influenced you. How did she influence you? How did she impact you to change you for the better? Um, she, she was a, a incredibly hard working, working woman. And she still is today from, cause I still keep in contact with her. Um, she had saw me at the, at the very beginning when I was just a dishwasher. Um, and she remembered that, like, as soon as I walked in the door, she's like, Oh my God, like you, you know, because everyone always remembers when we were closing that first restaurant, we had like this holiday party and, you know, people were speaking and saying how much they like to work here. And I kind of went up to the front of the restaurant and was like, I have something to say. And I wrote out the speech of like, you know, you guys have influenced me. You, you gave me a, a purpose and I'm going to go out there and do it. And I'm going to come back and prove it to you. Like, I'm going to come back and show you what I've done. So as soon as I came back into the restaurant that she was at, you know, in the future and I kind of came back in, it's like, she's like, you did it. You, you, said what you were going to do. And then you came back and you're ready to work. And she's just always been a huge supporter of mine. And I owe a lot to that because I always had her support in terms of every decision that I was making, whether it was to leave a restaurant, to go to another town, she was always there when I would see her and she'd be like, that's awesome. I'm so happy. And, you know, there's a lot of support there. And I, and I'm, Dis- very grateful for that. Distill that. What is the lesson that you've taken from that experience that you passed down and can, you know, how does that influence you today? Uh, to, I, to just have your employees support and to support them and what they want to do. If they have a specific passion that is outside of work or within work, I think supporting them and kind of giving them that drive that they need and that opportunity to do what they want to be a better person uh, it's a huge, uh, it's a huge influence to me, and I think I try to do that in every place that I've gone to. How did that and make you feel having her support? Uh, good. I mean, it was certainly a driving force. It, it's not in a driving force, and I can't let her down. But it was just a driving force that there are, you know, the more people that support you and what you want to do, it, it definitely gives a lot more reason to it. Absolutely. So we're twenty-seven minutes into this sucker. Um, I want to know. Uh, I mean. You've worked so many places. Uh, you've had a great experience. I guess take us on this journey. Um, are there any key takeaways from the time that you you know you took your first job out of culinary school to uh, where you are today at Three Penny? Um, big lessons, big aha moments, things, you know, critical moments in your career where you think you've evolved or improved. Uh, the restaurant having to close. Which restaurant the- was this? This would be Pats in the River. So this is the restaurant I started working at after culinary school. Okay. Uh, taking the reins and really having my first job as an executive chef and uh, it having to close and having a feeling a, a large amount of personal responsibility in that. 
because obviously I, I wanted to in, improve it and kind of change things around to make the restaurant successful. And it, the stars didn't kind of line up to that. Uh, and that was a huge takeaway because it was a, obviously you're, you're very prideful when you're that young. And that was a huge damage to that. And the, the next small job that I took was not necessarily one that I wanted to. It was one that I needed to just because it was the first job that I ever took that I just needed a job to get money. It wasn't necessarily a job that I wanted or necessarily liked doing. Um, and it was quite a, a short turnover. And I don't really like to have, I think, in my resume at this aspect and just my general philosophy is I don't like short you know, turnovers when it comes to a restaurant. I like to, to work and establish a foundation of time to not only for the place that I'm working for, but for me as myself to feel like I've done enough for that establishment and I've done enough for myself there. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a huge kind of take a step back and look at what I'm doing. And I need to figure out a different way to go about things. And instead of just trying to find another executive chef and try to, you know, run a restaurant at that point. And I knew that I wasn't ready for that anymore. So that was a huge takeaway and coming back to Virginia uh, in my career and looking at it from a culinary standpoint, as opposed to from a personal standpoint, my mom grew up in Northern Virginia around Fredericksburg. So we came to Virginia a lot as, as a kid um, to see it in a different light in terms of the availability and the bounty of food that's here in Virginia in terms of produce, proteins, you name it, I think Virginia's cornucopia mm-hmm. in that aspect. And coming back and seeing it from that vision was a huge, like, this is awesome. And I think that there's a huge opportunity for me here. Whereas in upstate New York, agriculture isn't necessarily a huge thing anymore, whether it be the tax point from it or it's just not money-making or the, the short growing seasons or the fact that the state is really pushing corn or ethanol kind of puts a damper on everything. And that was a huge turning point because I, I felt like I was somewhat floating around, not really knowing what I wanted to do or kind of where my next step was. Um, but coming here and seeing it from that aspect, I was like, all right, that's, that's the direction I want to go in. So um, I, I want to pick up where we are right now, before we get too far away from something you mentioned, um, you, the, the restaurant closing, uh, damaging your ego. What were the, the big reasons in hindsight, looking back at that moment, why you think the restaurant closed? Uh, I don't think it, it, in hindsight, when I look at it, it doesn't, it didn't have a lot to do with me. Okay. And that aspect, there were certain parameters that I could not control, whether it was a lease, a lease building on a County owned property. Cause it was like, it, it was right on the edge the end of the, the Oswego River. Okay. And the Port Authority owned the property that it was on. So it was always going to be leased. It was never in a permanent structure that the owners actually owned. And it, it just came down to a decision that he wanted to do. Um, he, he no longer wanted to renew the lease. Yeah. Um, so regardless of me trying to improve it, it was like you either, you know, get out of it now while the lease ends or sign another f- five years. And they decided that they didn't want to do it for another five years. So at that point, I was like, maybe I don't want to work here to kind of, 
I, I need to do something. I can't just wait out the restaurant to close and then yeah. try to figure it out. So I got very, um, I, I guess I, I tried to solve the problem for myself and just tried to find another job. And lo and behold, they stayed open for another six months and all this other stuff. Um, but, but I kind of felt that I didn't do a good enough job to make them want to sign it for another five years. But in hindsight now it's like, well, of course they didn't want to do it because it's a long time yeah. to run a restaurant again. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And, and I think that that was a huge impact. What my visualization of why it was closed may have not been the actual reason why it did close or there was a lot of blame on my aspect for it. Okay. So how old are you at this point? So you, you leave the restaurant, uh, you were 19 when you went back to the restaurant, how many years were you there? Uh, I left it. They closed when it was, when I was 22. Okay. So about three years. Uh, so, uh, 23 years old, you're floating, you're lost. You you see Virginia. You feel like because of the food culture there, the farming culture there, that's where you want to be. Let's take it from there. You're floating around. You're not floating anymore. Uh, I mean, I, I stayed in upstate New York because I just moved down here two years ago. Uh, and I may have come down here on a personal trip six months before I moved here. Uh, so I floated around in upstate New York for quite some time. I, I worked in a few restaurants. I took a private chef job at a sorority house for the University of Syracuse. Um, and that was very much a change in terms of working schedule. I no longer had to work nights. I only worked nine to five and I didn't work weekends anymore. Okay. Um, and then I was, that was a turning point. It's like, I really want to get back into restaurants because this, nine to five job is just not anything that is fun. Yeah. Like it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of an excitement to it. I just kind of came into work, made two meals a day and then left. And then that's all that I did. Okay. So I I came back to Oswego, took the executive chef job at the bistro one nine seven and then worked there in Oswego until I was able to kind of take a personal trip to uh, Fredericksburg. So that was, because it'll be two years and two weeks that I've been here wow. uh, at this job and probably two years and six months or so that I took that kind of personal trip to Fredericksburg. Um, so like I said, I, as soon as I figured out what I wanted to do, I kind of like decided and immediately started planning to to come down to Virginia in some type of capacity, mm-hmm. whether it was Fredericksburg or anywhere. I remember looking at job postings all across the state. I didn't really care where I ended up. I just wanted to be in Virginia. Uh, and since I've been here, it's certainly kind of come to full capacity and I'm happy with that decision. Wait, so were you working at another Virginian restaurant before three penny cafe? Uh, no. Okay. Um, I did an internship while I was at school in Roanoke, but that was, that would be 10 years ago now. Okay, cool. All right. So, I mean, we're, let's see, we got a few more minutes, like really dive into anything that, uh, were big takeaways for you in your, your growth as a professional that you can share with us, uh, lessons, life lessons, uh, industry lessons that you can just drop on us. Um, since I've been here at three penny, the entire time I've been here, uh, has, I have learned more within these two years than I probably ever have since I've started this career. Uh, Not only in terms of a skill level, but just about food culture in general, in terms of uh, commodity agriculture system versus organic agriculture systems, grass fed, pasture raised animals versus feedlot animals. And 
there is definitely a more reason and purpose behind the, the type of food that I cook and the type of sourcing that I do. Um, and I do a lot of personal reading, um, not so much just for the rest, but, but now I'm so interested into it. And the owner here at Three Penny is also extremely passionate underneath the same goals that I am that our food system has certainly gone astray from how it started mm-hmm. and how things are done in all across the board, whether it's just buying from big box distributors and opening a box and heating it up out of a bag uh, is all too familiar for a lot of cooks and a lot of chefs and a lot of people in this industry. And that's just not the way things are supposed to be done anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, the overfishing of specific types of fish, whether it's tuna, the fact that, for instance, Atlantic salmon that was once prosperous in Lake Ontario is non-existent. Uh, it, it does not exist there anymore. And then there's fish that they do stock in Lake Ontario is a Pacific species of Chinook and a few other ones to stock the fisheries. And that's what people think salmon fishery is. Um, where we are now, we've put ourselves here. And the more that we look back upon it, the more we realize how messed up our food system has gotten so bad. In, terms, in terms of how animals are raised, uh, how animals are purchased, how restaurants pull in money and how it's always shaving pennies and dollars and you have to kind of figure out how much is that worth to you as an individual. If you're in this industry just to make as much money as you possibly can, then that probably matters a lot to you. If you are in this industry because you have a specific goal and a vision in mind, then that becomes more important to you. And I think at this point in my career, I have determined that my overall vision and goal is more important to me uh, than just making a few extra bucks. What is your and, specific goal and vision right now? Did I cut you off? Were you going to add something to that? I, I was, yeah, I was going to add to that in terms of bringing food back and supporting the food shed in your, in your area. I think that's more important um, to buy from producers and farmers than it is to just open a box. Mm. Um, not only for the local economy, but just for the environment, uh, just for the, the ethic aspect of it versus animal raised in a feedlot versus a pig that's raised in the middle of the woods. Uh, it gives you a more sense of purpose and it gives your food a lot more reason behind it. Uh, and the food just tastes better. So you just mentioned something uh, that I want. So people ask me all the time, uh, Eric, why don't you interview more uh, like small chains or like multi-unit operations? Uh, and the reason is because I don't think it's sustainable because by promoting that that business, I guess that business structure, that business model, uh, I'm not promoting sustainability because I don't I don't know about you, but I don't think you can do food on big scale sustainably. You just what do you do? You think it's possible? No, I I think, uh, and a lot of people would probably disagree with it, and there's probably good people that would disagree with it. I think the idea of trying to feed the world or feed people on a large scale is unattainable yeah i think from it might be possible it might be physically possible to do it but i don't think it's sustainable i think the idea of trying to produce a having another country depend on another country to feed itself is not sustainable yeah we should not be concerned about feeding and, and again this sounds you know horrible from an ethics standpoint i don't think that places like i don't know 
Haiti or small countries in the middle of Europe should have to depend on larger countries to feed them. I think and there are many cases of countries looking for other countries to be supported and they end up getting, you know, GMO raised wheat and that has horrible effects on their natural ecosystem in that area and their natural economy within that area. Uh, it, it, this happens a lot in the Pan-Asian countries where a farmer might be, makes their money on raising rice or growing rice. And that is their, their life. Their culture is to growing rice. Yep. But then we have these larger countries that can produce it and sell it cheaper than he can. So not only are we adding something to a country that doesn't already have, I mean, it already has, but we're selling to it. We're selling it to them cheaper than what this guy is trying to make a living off of. So we're destroying his culture yep. uh, and the potential of destroying the rest of the country's culture because they're just buying it at a cheaper rate than they, that they can produce it. Yeah. And you're, you're, you're like, you're touching on some really important things. And I think a lot of people, when they think of sustainability, they think of like uh, the, the actual physical uh, ability for the earth to sustain life. But what about cultural sustainability? What about human uh, and personal emotional sustainability? Because think about all the jobs you're taking, the responsibilities, the purpose, like there's such a loss of purpose in the industry today uh, in food, uh, just food production in general, because p- people are losing roles, their livelihoods. Like they, they, there's a loss of purpose uh, across the boards. And we, as humans, we need to fill a purpose. It's one of those most important things that we all seek is our, our role, our, our responsibility, our purpose in the community and our, in our, in our, our, our neighborhoods. We need to, to have that purpose. And it's really hard today to find that purpose. And I think that's one thing that's not talked a lot about. And maybe it's a little mushy gushy. Maybe it's a little woo woo, but human needs, man, we need that sense of purpose. Yeah, I agree. And I, another reason why I think it's it's talked about is it's quite a large kind of object that kind of blocks people from talking about it. You, you think like, well, there's there's no way that we can change this. There's no way that we can change our current <laughs> food system because it's just so large and so controlled. But there is a way. I mean, yeah, you, you start support where you yeah. are uh, and you think about where you're – you don't even have to do it. But as long as you have the idea or you – Think about what your food is coming from or how it's produced yeah. is enough to get the ball rolling. Oh, man. There's point. there's so much hope. And the reason why is because of podcasts like Jenny's, uh, social media. Whenever people have a thought or they know something to be true, we can spread information today faster than ever. And that's the cool thing about the Internet is when we I think people in general, they want to do what's right. And when they don't do what's right, most of the time it's because they, didn't, they don't realize what they're doing is wrong. But when you educate people and you teach them what is right – people generally want to do the right thing. It's just a matter of educating them and we can do that faster than ever before. So there's tons of hope, man. I think that, that the world is going to be the, this next few generations coming up that will be, that will be replacing us or more educated, more culture than ever before. So just, I certainly hope hope so. Yeah, man. (laughs) So uh, I, one more thing I want to touch on before we move to the speed round, uh, you, in your interview with Janae, or I always say her, her name weird, Janae, right? Yeah, Janae. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a different one. It's a great name, though. Uh, you mentioned that your current boss, uh, and her name's escaping me. I'm, I wrote it down someplace. I can't find it. Murphy. Yes, thank you. Um, is the best woman you've ever, or the best boss you've ever worked for. What, what have you learned beyond her, her values for sustainability? What have you learned about her from her, about business 
uh, just business in general and just leadership? Uh, she admits when she's wrong, uh, and she and she trusts in her employees. And there's a lot of bosses out there, and there's a lot of board, bosses that I've worked for that, again, it's that that mindship of I'm I'm your boss, therefore I can do no wrong. Uh, again, just doesn't work in this day and age where people have more opportunities to have opinions or opportunities to voice their opinions in any form of communication possible. Uh, you, you can't do that. You can't be a controlling person, mm-hmm. especially when you're talking about getting more freedoms back into this industry, trying to make things more equal in this industry in terms of not only as we've recently heard about sexual harassment, sexual abuse, and just abuse of power in general, which have been around for such a long time, but to work for someone who tries to even the playing field and come together in a, in a brainstorm and kind of a, a grouping of ideas is more helpful than ever mm-hmm. in terms of what we're trying to do here and what we're trying to get across the board. I entrust that she has my back and she entrusts that myself and our general manager, uh, Stephanie, have hers in every aspect. And that's a huge, that's a huge deal to me uh, across the board. I'm so happy you just mentioned that because what you're talking about is so important. Just creating that, that safe space to work where communication is open. Everybody has a trust for each other and respect for each other. And uh, I actually, when this episode goes live on the 20th, uh, of November later tonight, I have Rudy Mick, who is just an awesome guy coming back on the, uh, to teach a webinar. So we did an episode not too long ago about safe space. Uh, he's going to be teaching a webinar on how to create that safe space because of what's happened. Um, the, the issues with John Besh and, uh, kind of sparked this. Uh, yeah. so yeah, if you want to come join us tonight, it's a live recording. Uh, be there. It's going to be a lot of fun. You can ask your questions. We can teach you how to create that safe space uh, in your your operation. I hope to see you guys. Um, so let's just unless there's anything else. Is there anything else you want you want to mention or anything we didn't discuss up to this point that you were hoping we would discuss uh, before we move on to the speed round? Uh, no, no. I think if there's any more information about what our restaurant does and who I source from, it's. Our website is completely transparent, and I'm always open to to tell people where I get my food from. I have no no issues explaining how anything comes into this restaurant. Awesome, and how it gets treated here. So we're gonna take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. Have you heard of the 80-20 rule? Well, if you haven't, it states that for many events, roughly 80% of effects come from 20% of the causes. How does this apply to the restaurant industry? Roughly 80% of your total revenue comes from 20% of your customers. That 20%, well, those are your loyal customers. Five Stars helps you get more loyal customers and helps you strengthen the bond between existing loyal customers. This method is so effective that Five Stars users have reported up to two 100% increase in revenue. Set up a demo today and learn about their two newest features. Word of mouth, which allows your guests to share the rewards they earn at your restaurant with their friends and network matching, where basically if you get a hundred customers to sign up, five stars will send you 100 new customers that have never been to your restaurant. To learn more, head over to get.fivestars.com slash unstoppable or use promotional code unstoppable. And when you see a demo, five stars will send you a $25 gift card to some of their favorite retailers like Target, Starbucks, Home Depot, and more. Get on it. 
To be unstoppable, most restaurant owners require extra capital from time to time. When you need funding to renovate, buy equipment, or manage cash flow, you don't have time to track down financial statements or wait weeks for a decision. That's where Cabbage can help. Cabbage gives small businesses access to a line of credit of up to $150,000. Apply online and you'll get a decision right away. Since Cabbage is a line of credit, you can take the exact amount you need. You never have to reapply to take out additional loans and you only pay for the funds you use. Cabbage has helped more than 100,000 businesses from every industry with over $3 billion in funding. Cabbage is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau and was named a Forbes Top 100 company twice in a row. Check out Cabbage with a K dot com slash unstoppable and you'll get a $100 gift card when you qualify. That's K-A-B-B-A-G-E dot com slash unstoppable. Line of credit is subject to credit approval. See terms and conditions. We're back in the first question I have for you, Chef Jeff, is what is your it factor? A habit? a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Uh, at this point, reading is my it factor. I think uh, my mom is an English teacher. I always hated reading as a kid. Uh, I never fully appreciated it. And my mom always tried to pound it into my head. And now I think it's definitely my it factor is the amount of knowledge that I try to consume on a daily basis what keeps me going? And uh, we won't we won't get into any book titles at this point because there's a question coming up. But what does your your reading uh, regimen look like? How do you make sure you consistently show up and read uh, to to stay, I guess, uh, inspired and uh, educated? Uh, Audible. I don't mean to plug in another app or anything like that, but audiobooks have certainly made my life a lot easier because I can work and listen at the same exact time. Yep, uh, and I get a lot of reading done in that aspect. So I read books and I listen to books at the and correlation with each other. Oh man. I'm so happy you mentioned that. Not just because Audible, I'm an affiliate of Audible, but because it has changed my life. The the power of audiobooks. Whenever you're in your car going for a walk, uh whenever you don't like anytime really that you're not talking to somebody else and you need undivided attention, audiobooks are just amazing. Uh, and they, they literally have changed my life. So, uh, you can head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable to get a free trial and you would be supporting restaurant unstoppable too. If you uh, use those links, episode four Oh two, head over to restaurant unstoppable.com slash four Oh two. Also have the, the links in the show notes. Uh, okay. What is your biggest weakness? My biggest weakness is the fact that I let everything else go by the wayside in my personal life. I always, unfortunately, pick what I do at the restaurant um, before anything else. And then it's very consuming in that aspect. So what are you talking about your life, like relationships? Is that specifically what you're talking about? uh, It has been an issue in the past, but in terms of, I I think everyone can say in this restaurant industry, you miss holidays, you miss spending time with your friends, and I am no different in that trend. Um, Most of my time outside of work, involves work uh on days off i ended up coming to work or doing something that aspect uh and i can see that as a weakness Mm. uh, in terms of i'm sometimes you just need to take a step back to look at the larger picture yeah and i don't always do that Mm -hmm. tunnel vision sometimes uh i get that uh what is one question or thing you look for during the interview process um what they're 
general philosophies are on how food should be treated. I mean, I, the the general interview process for me is you can bring me a resume. That's great. You can put whatever you want on it. You can use however fancy words you want to to make your job seem like more than it was or less than it was. But until I sit down and actually have a personal conversation with you about what you think food is and how it should be treated, uh, we don't go any further. Awesome. Uh, what is a current challenge today? Uh, in what context? Uh, what is your biggest challenge? Like today, if there's one thing that's challenging you, what is it? Like uh, context, uh, just business or life, like whatever, you, whatever challenge, whatever you, you choose the context. Um, I, I think the, the biggest challenge for me today is being a small fish in a small crowded pond. Uh, <laughs> I think it's my biggest challenge. I just think um, sometimes I'm just not as noticeable as anybody else is. So, so what are you doing to combat that challenge? Uh, conducting podcasts, <laughs> conducting interviews, trying to take as much of uh, whatever the sunlight that I could possibly get and having small speaking platforms to kind of get my point across. Awesome. Well, happy to help you with that, man. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. Uh Knives don't go on stainless steel. Oh, your knives always have to be treated with respect. Treat your knives with respect. Awesome. And what is one uncommon standard of service uh, that you teach your team? This is, a, I don't know, the, the example I use is when you approach a table and you're holding something in your hand, uh, you hold that thing behind your back if it doesn't belong to that table. Uh, this is a, an example. Uh, can you think of anything? Uh, stop wiping your hands on the apron. Wiping, like cleaning your hands off on the sides of your apron because you, you wear that all the time. Yep. Uh, sometimes I'm a, it's a bad habit and I try to break it for myself and I think it's easier for me to break that habit if I make sure that no one else does it. Awesome. Uh, share an online resource or a tool that you're currently leveraging. This could be uh, a blog or a magazine or uh, like an actual, I don't know, like a, a scheduling app. Anything like that, or not scheduling app? Yeah, eh, scheduling app works. Whatever. Uh, whatever comes the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch. Whoa, that's awful. Say that one more time. <laughs> the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch app. Okay, it's a, it's a list of sustainable food guides. Uh, you can search by fish or in fishing methods. You can tell, and it pretty much tells you which one is sustainable and which one is good to use. Uh, we are. We are one of the only restaurants or one of the few restaurants in the state of Virginia that is a business partner with the Monterey Bay Seafood Watch, uh, and it's extremely helpful and a wealth of information at your fingertips. Beautiful. And what is one book that's a must-read that will make us a better person or restaurant operator? Uh, Dan Barber's The Third Plate. Dan Barber's The Third Plate. What's the biggest lesson that you got from that book? Um. The biggest lesson I got from that book was the story of wheat and what we've done to ruin it and trying to use all of every product that you can get in all of that product uh, in terms of if a farmer is growing cauliflower, he's growing the whole plant and all that we get is probably 30% of that plant uh, and trying to use all of it. All right. And I'm checking that book is on audio. So you can head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable to get that book or just the show notes. This is episode 402. And uh, 
what is one technology technology like physical technology uh that you're leveraging in your restaurant that gets you really excited um in terms of myself or just for the restaurant in general uh, yourself or whatever comes to mind yourself or the restaurant in general um i don't i i guess uh i, I guess i don't really have anything that i i mean i there's a lot of different things that i use but nothing is i could make i could do without the physicality of actual books, being able to look at them is something I, yeah. I kind of use a lot. I have books everywhere in my, in the kitchen and in, in the prep rooms and I, I'm always carrying books. So we'll, maybe, just, put, we'll just put audible. How's that sound? Audible. Because, yeah, because audible is good. Yeah. That, we'll, we'll use that. <laughs> cool. Uh, if you, uh, this is the last question, by the way, if you got the news that you'll be leaving this world tomorrow and, and all the memories of you, your work, uh, the restaurants you've worked in, uh, the, the restaurants you've helped to create uh, would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that uh, are knowledge that you know to be true uh, for the good of humanity. What would those three pieces of wisdom and knowledge be? Um, that pigs are meant to be fat and grown outdoors uh, everything that my father has taught me and laugh and grow fat is pretty much laugh and grow fat. Yeah. All right. I'm going to have to go a little bit deeper here. Give me one lesson your father has taught you. That's made you a better man today. Uh, well, you'll, you'll have to excuse me. Um, my father passed away and, February of this year uh, and just had a, I I guess what he taught me are, uh, is not anything that I can put into words. Okay. Just the, the being of what he was to me is something that I wish I could pass on to everybody. Not, and there isn't a certain thing that he did or there isn't a certain thing that he taught me in particular, but everything he was in, in a whole is something that I wish I could pass on. I'm really tempted to ask you how he was. I don't want to push too hard though, man. <laughs> uh, he was, he was a dad and many of my friends, nearly all of them always reference him as dad, even though that he, he wasn't their father. He was always a father. Mm. So it would always like, what's dad up to? Hey dad. Like it, that was his name. I would introduce him to new people that I've never met as this is dad. What and then it? I would introduce him with his real name, obviously after that, but it's always dad. And he was, he understood that I was always at the restaurant. So rather than just waiting for me to come see him, he would just come see me. Mm. And then he was always welcome in every restaurant that I worked at. He'd always hang out. And the behind the cooking line, he was just a dad. Beautiful. And I and there's, yeah, I, I can't really go further than that. Enough said, my friend. Thank you for going deeper. And that's it. Uh, is there anything we didn't discuss? Any question I could have asked you that you think would have brought more value to this conversation? No, I think this is a pretty good conversation. It was great, man. Thank you so much. And before I let you go, we wrap up every episode with calling somebody out. That's how I found you. So who is one independent restaurant operator, somebody you admire in this industry and believe would make a great guest mentor like you've made for us today? Um, in terms of restaurant operators, uh, I think having a conversation with my boss would be a more than interesting conversation. She is 
a very interesting woman, and this is her first restaurant, um, and this is could be a quote-unquote retirement uh, for her, uh, but she's done many different aspects of this world. Uh, she's written a book, um, and, and anybody else that I could suggest, most of them are farm purveyors, or they're farmers in some aspect, whether it's my pig producer, lamb, beef, they're all quite individual people. And I can't say enough about them for what they do. So beautiful. And uh, her name is Marope. Am I saying that correctly? Marope. Marope. Yes. Marope, look out. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show and let the folks at, know, at home know uh, how can we connect with you? How can we follow you? How can we uh, maybe come join you in your team? Uh, you can always reach us at the restaurant's website. You can go from that tagline. Uh, I run the Instagram, uh, Three Penny Cafe. Uh, you can reach me at chef Jeff at three penny cafe.com. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Beautiful. This is episode four zero two. head over to restaurants, unstoppable.com slash four zero two for links to everything that was discussed in today's conversation, a summary of today's discovery. Oh, wow. Too much coffee, a summary of today's conversation. All right there. Uh, chef Jeff, thank you so much. Uh, for taking the time to join us, to share your advice, to share your journey, to share your mentorship. There is no questioning, my friend. You are unstoppable. Well, thank you very much. It was my pleasure. Uh, the pleasure was all mine as well. Cheers. Chef Jeff Deloff, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. A great conversation. And we had some really great lessons, uh, just life lessons that you shared with us today. And the ones that really stood out to me is just the power of investing in your people, your your time, your energy, uh, your love, your compassion uh, for young people. And it sounds like you had that person in your life with this with Chef Jeff, uh, your Chef Jeff, not the Chef Jeff we taught today, but that, that chef that really influenced you uh, and in it, it, that's the perfect perfect example of a transformative relationship. Uh, really, not just making the relationships in your restaurant transactional. You know, you come to work, I pay you. That's that. But really, transforming the next generation of people that are going to be inheriting this earth is really what it's all about. And then just acknowledgement. I loved how you pointed out. I think it was Renee was her name. This woman who acknowledged you. The simple power of just of acknowledging. Uh, the successes of other people, the, the the good qualities of other people. So if you think if you're thinking something good about somebody, and if, and if you want to acknowledge this person, or if you acknowledge them in your mind and acknowledge them out loud, the power can be profound. Uh, Jeff Jeff Delop said that this woman, the simple power of her just acknowledging that he did what he said he was going to do, and he made it to be, he you know, he became an executive chef like. That power of acknowledgement really just goes so far. And then we talked a little bit about sustainability today. Um, and, you know, I think it's kind of cool to think about, you know, the human element of sustainability, not just how we are physically affected by sustainability, but how are we emotionally affected by not being sustainable, by operating on a massive scale. Uh, people need purpose. And the bigger something is, uh, like an operation or a restaurant group, the less, the less significant each person in that restaurant becomes. They're they're easily replaced, and people want to know that they aren't replaceable, that they are important, that they do serve a role, a, a very specific, special role. Uh, and it's much easier to have an impact as an individual in a smaller restaurant group. That's just how I feel, and I feel like it's it's you need the, you need that element, uh, that that soul, that mojo, as they talk about in Small Giants, uh, a great book by Bo Burlingham that we've talked about uh, in the show. So. 
I don't know. That's how I feel. I'm talking too much at this point. Uh, I want to make sure you guys know that there is a webinar today. When this episode goes live at 3.30 in the morning, 12 hours later, there's an episode. Uh, uh, blah, blah, blah. There is a webinar with Rudy Mick. We're going to be talking about safe space. I'd love for you guys to come hang out and learn about HR and what you can do to create that safe space in your restaurant. You can head to the show notes. This is episode 402. I'll have a link to sign up for that webinar so you can join us. It's a live webinar, uh, interactive. So uh, bring your questions and come hang out and come meet me and Rudy and we can't wait to have you. And uh, I think that's all for today. Uh, keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. Uh, Eric at Restaurant Unstoppable. Instagram, Twitter, Eric Cacciatore, Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable. And uh, yeah, don't be afraid to reach out to me. Thank you guys so much for sticking around this long. And until next time, peace out.